Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Conservative Corner. Today, I've got a few things I want to talk about, um, but uh, this is our first podcast, and I want to thank everyone for uh, tuning in. So we've got a lot to talk about today, uh, so let's just dive in. The biggest uh, debate or debacle going on right now is the whole Brett Kavanaugh issue. And let me just put this out there right now. I think it's cooked up. And here's why. Brett Kavanaugh was appointed to the United States Court of Appeals for the District Court of Columbia. Um, and that was in May 30th, 2006. And he was appointed by George W. Bush. Now, have we heard anything back then of this accused sexual assault? I don't really think so. And I think that's really what we need to know is this didn't come out back then. And why is it coming out right now? Well, we have seen already that these protesters will go to extreme lengths to oppose or protest these appointments. I mean, even the first day of the hearings, it was all about these protesters breaking the law just to stop this confirmation. And I think that's really, really important to remember. These people were in the Senate hearing chambers and they were disrupting the peace. They were yelling. They were cursing in front of Kavanaugh's parents, in front of Kavanaugh's children, in front of his wife. It was inappropriate. And who's to stop someone from creating a fake uh, account of sexual assault? However, I do think it's very important that this be heard. And if you may have already noticed, they plan on hearing Kavanaugh as well as the accuser testify on Monday. They're going to testify on Monday. And that's really important. We'll see what happens. Um, but Kavanaugh has already denied these accusations, as well as the accuser um, isn't able to produce any witnesses of the account. So that's going to be something that's really up in the air. So I think we need to stay watching out for that. But I wouldn't get too concerned. My biggest concern right now is you get the progressive Republicans, kind of the Suzanne Collins type, are going to oppose this nomination. Um, worst case scenario that I see is that the uh, President Trump will appoint, or not appoint, but nominate Amy Barrett, her, his second choice, and hopefully speed through that confirmation uh, and nomination process to get her on the court before the midterms. The midterms are something we'll get to later today, but I think the biggest headline is, is the Kavanaugh um, topic, and I think we've kind of shown don't be too concerned about that. Don't listen to everything you hear. But then again, it's important that we do hear this out in front of the Senate. Um, but I do think it's truly cooked up. But coming in right now, we have a huge incident where Syria has accidentally shot down one of a Russian's military planes um, after an Israeli attack. So this has killed 15 people on board, and Russia is blaming Israel after the plane downed in Syria. This is something that uh, I'm really not liking, and, and I'll tell you why. So we already know that tensions between Russia, Israel, and the West in general is not the strongest it can be, right? And I think that Russia blaming Israel is just another way for them to get back at us. Israel has kind of been our stronghold in the uh, Middle East, in this contentious area for a while now. And for Russia to blame Israel after Syria accidentally shoots them down, um, it's kind of a he said, she said, and a piggybacking of blame off of someone else. Um, so this is kind of still yet to play out, but I think this is going to be exaggerated to a far greater extent um, 
than it really needs to be. And already you've got CNN and New York Times playing it up on an anti-Israeli agenda. Um, and I think the liberals will really exacerbate that as well in the coming um, coming days and news cycles, which we all know will just go crazy. And I don't know if uh, many of you paid attention to the Emmys, which were hosted on Monday night, but there were a host of comments made that were quite, let's just say if they were said about liberals or Democrats, it would have had a different response. So the host of the show, Michael Shea, he had some words to say about people that thank Jesus and thank God at these Emmy Awards. He said that anyone that thanks Jesus at an award shows are either Republicans or ex-crackheads. People don't care anymore what these liberal Hollywood elites have to say anymore. They, they're getting tired of it. And I think that's really seen in, in these reactions that, that these are getting. People are not watching these shows anymore. They're getting the lowest ratings that have ever gotten before. People aren't tuning in. And it is a constant negative flow towards one side of the political spectrum. And this is something that's really important here. The Democrats preach this acceptance, right? They talk about being accepting and being understanding of different backgrounds or anything. But what they won't tell you, or actually, contra contrary to what happened last night, they will tell you that they aren't accepting to people that are Republicans. That's just clear. That's made quite clear nowadays. Um, and we really need to, to, to respond to this. I think that people need to stop watching these shows. People need to stop patronizing these actors and actresses that directly attack these people. And they need to show that hypocrisy is not going to be accepted in this sphere. Now, they have as much a right to be a hypocrite as anyone does. It's uh, it's a freedom. You're allowed to do that. But that doesn't mean that we have to accept it. And let's really go back to the foundation of why these Democrats kind of enable this behavior and, and, and embed this behavior, behavior in their supporters. I think it really goes back to the, um, the 60s, right, and the 70s. Now, the civil rights movement, I think we all can agree, that was a good progression. There were negative actions towards minorities, and they needed to be, needed to be stopped. But I think we, under, uh, we undermine the true intentions behind a lot of these actions. Now, it was uh, Lyndon B. Johnson that signed into law the Civil Rights Act of 1964, um, as well as the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Now, I would say overall these were relatively revolutionary acts, but what did they truly accomplish? Racism still existed, and it still does exist today. So what was the real goal of these acts? Well, I think the case needs to be made that it was to basically galvanize votes for the Democratic Party, and it still is seen to it's still seen in many uh, political movements in the modern in the modern time. Let's look at Hawaii right now, and I truly can't believe this. A lot of the Hawaii representatives want to institute what's known as a living wage. A living wage. What is a living wage? A living wage is the amount of money you get paid, they want to say $15,000 a year, for just living. No reason, no rhyme. You get paid $15,000 just because 
you're alive. Just because you woke up in the morning, boom, $15,000. This is scary, to say the least. We're going to pay people $15,000 because they exist? This is really what is going to be the downfall of American democracy and into socialism that is so pervasive in Europe. So getting back to Michael Shea and all this uh, commotion about the Emmys, it just shows that the Democratic Party is no longer a party that, that preaches acceptance and says that and does differently. They're instead a party that just openly doesn't accept people. Um, they are not uh, tolerant of Republicans. They're not tolerant of any conservatives. And they're even, um, they're, they're putting their own kind, actors, in a box, per se. I mean, you have a lot of relatively outspoken conservative actors. You have Vince Vaughn, you have Mel Gibson. These people have felt ostracized in this Hollywood community um, for this kind of behavior. And I want to kind of transition now to CNN's new project projections for 2020 Democratic contenders. So they point out these three key facts of people that are winning the 2018 Democratic primary season. They say women are winning, liberals are winning, and people of color are winning. So I want to kind of talk about these. Women are winning. Yes, that's true. Women are winning. They are very, very popular um, in polling. They're very popular in winning. And I think the Republican Party can really learn a lot from this. The Republican Party is not doing well endorsing and running women candidates. That is probably my biggest complaint and concern regarding the Republican Party and conservatives in general is that there's not enough backing behind women candidates. I think they have a lot uh, to offer. However, I do think that there is a big, there's a large hurdle for a lot of these women in becoming um, candidates and then in general becoming successful nominees and then eventually winning. And that's that they are, it's their stance on abortion. If we look at the current um, Senate Republican women, they are all pro-choice. Now, I don't want to really get into your own beliefs on abortion, but it is true that Republicans in general have a pro-life opinion, and women candidates are pro-choice. So this is something that the Republican Party needs to really think about. Do they sacrifice their beliefs on abortion for a possible winning woman candidate, or do they say, no, let's stick to the male pro-life candidate that may or may not win. Um, because these candidates are really going up against these very diverse Democratic candidates. Now, whether or not they're good candidates or good politicians or just good people in general is really up for debate. But I think that there is a lot to learn from women candidates winning and winning and winning. CNN's second idea is that liberals are winning. And they say from Andrew Gillum in Florida's governor race to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the House, candidates positioning themselves as unapologetic progressives are meeting with success. This is fake news right here. Um, and let me tell you why. These are not liberals. These are socialists. These are people slightly left of Karl Marx and Joseph Stalin. 
These are people that are not defined or should not be defined as liberal. These are people, going back to what I previously said, that want a living wage. A living wage. So I think that this is a big skew. These are not liberals. These are downright communists and downright socialists that are being advocated for in this um, in this CNN news article. So let's just get that straight. Um, and their third point is that people of color are winning. Uh, Gillum is one of the three African-American nominees for governor in 2018. A historic number, they say. Yes, it is a historic number. Um, but I think we really need to be wary of voting based on um, just diversity in general. Do I believe that Congress can be more diverse? Sure, but I don't think that need that diversity needs to come from the Republican Party or from the Democratic Party rather. Um, I think that this the idea that only a Democratic candidate can be uh, diverse is something that the fake news liberal media is spinning and I think that's really really clear. Uh, to me. Um, so let's get down into the article. So they say, quote, we are nothing if not mindful of the messages voters are sending at the ballot box, end quote. Now I want to point something out. They have a grammar error in their own article. It's If I read it correctly, it says, quote, we are nothing if not mindful of the the messages voters are sending at the ballot box, end quote. So CNN can't even proofread their articles correctly, and we're going to trust them to point out the winning messages of a important uh, midterm election? I don't really think so. I think that's kind of ridiculous, um, and we need to reevaluate the sources that people are reading. So let's get back to the quote. Quote, because of that, we are crowning a new king or queen in our monthly rankings of the 10 people most likely to wind up as the Democratic nominee for president against Donald Trump in 2020, end quote. So let's guess who they have as number one, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren is their number one. Pocahontas, as President Trump likes to crown her, and I think that's really an appropriate name. Even the, a lot of the Native American communities have a problem with the actions of uh, Miss Elizabeth Warren in claiming that she was a Native American of Native American descent to aid her own uh, social mobility and professional life. I don't think she's a candidate. I don't think she's a contender. She may be a candidate. And here's why I'll tell you this. She has a lot of skeletons in her closets. Um, I think if you go and you look up, just even if you just Wikipedia Elizabeth Warren, you'll see a lot of interesting newsworthy headline events. But these are only actions that a level-headed, uh, good mindset person will discuss. Let's not forget that the 2016 election was kind of defined by the constant negative news cycle of then-candidate Donald Trump. Um, and I think that's really, really interesting how they kept spinning all these news cycles and spinning all these new uh, stories to try to prevent him from winning. And in doing so, just gave him free press, free airtime free publicity. 
And they didn't really focus on Hillary Clinton that much, only when they really needed to, such as the email scandal. So Elizabeth Warren being uh, a candidate may be possible and being a contender, while I don't see being probable, can be possible. Um, and I think that's really down to how the media uh, can spin it. And it goes back a lot to we, we need to kind of take the media back. The media is really controlled by the New York Times, CNN, the Washington Post, these, and we're now getting into these huge fringe groups like Vox. If you've ever heard of Vox, um, that's, that's becoming really, really popular. And don't even get me started on the Huffington Post, a crazy liberal um, publication that just does not tell the truth. Um, so Elizabeth Warren, Pocahontas, she's got, she's got a lot of skeletons, and I think Trump can, can knock her down. Uh, now let's keep going. We got Kamala Harris in number two. Kamala Harris, what has she done? What has she done? I will ask anyone that's not really from her district and of her constituency group to tell us what she's done. I can't think of anything, and I'm pretty um, keen into the uh, news cycles and and publications and uh, accomplishments of senators and representatives and congressmen and women in general. And I can't think of a single thing she's done. So that's all you need to really say. Someone brings up Kamala Harris. Well, what has she done? She asked a noteworthy quote. Um, she's gotten some good sound bites uh, that have been replayed on liberal sources over and over and again. And by liberal sources, I mean the New York Times. <laughs> so I don't think we really need to think about her. Uh, but uh, she is ranked in number two. Number three, they put Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Joe Biden I can easily describe as a putz. Joe Biden is known for eating his ice cream. Um, and that's really it. He's got a lot of photos on liberal sources for being a fun-loving guy. But that is just not true at all. He is, uh, he just kind of goes from one place to the next. He was by Obama's side, and that was really it. Um, I mean, the vice presidency in general is a tough job. And by tough job, I mean really little to no um, platform of power. And I think that Joe Biden will try to pump that up as being, look what I did, look what I did. Um, but once again, I point back to the Kamala Harris, um, what did she really do? Nothing, right? Nothing extremely noteworthy. Uh, excuse me, I had to take a drink of water right there. So Bernie Sanders is enlisted again um, on this contender. They released this uh, list about two months ago, and then they updated it about two weeks ago, and Bernie Sanders is still on the list. Crazy Bernie. Bernie, I think, ostensibly would have won the general election in 2016 had it been up against uh, Sanders v. Trump. I think it would have been a relatively close election, but I think Sanders would have won it. Sanders is going to be pretty old. Uh, let me just do a quick Google search of uh, Sanders. He is right now 77. So that would put him at 79 running to become president. He would be a, he'd be 79 if he were to be sworn in. 
And what does this mean? This is going to be our oldest president yet. Now, people didn't vote for John McCain a lot because of his age. Um, and I think this age is going to be, play a huge factor. An 80-year-old running the country, that's, that's really old. That is something that I don't know how I would feel about. I don't know how uh, the American population would feel about. Uh, so that's, that's my thing, age, right there. If anyone comes out and says Bernie Sanders is a good candidate, go right to their age um, and just say, you, you show how people, people criticized Ronald Reagan, one of the uh, conservative lions of the modern era, of being too old. Um, and sadly, he did have some instances of, of he, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and some people uh, believe that tarnished his record towards his latter end of his second term. But he wasn't Bernie Sanders' age when he was leaving office. Bernie Sanders is going to be Ronald Reagan's parting age when he goes into office. So that is just absolutely insane. Um, and I think that really should shut him out right there. But what I've heard a lot of young people say um, is that Bernie just seems like a fun guy. That's not true. It's just not true. He has time and time again shown his true side, his darker side. He is not this fun-loving crazy socialist that everyone likes him likes to make him out to be he's just not um and i think that that will really show in a an election when he's challenged like that and when he gets the true heat of the uh the conservatives that they can really bring down let's go to the next uh person on the list cory booker Cory Booker is a little kid at a rodeo. That's what he is. He is someone that is just playing with the big boys. And he thinks he's doing a great job. Um, and, and that's just false. Cory Booker has done a really great job of getting angry um, and showing off. A lot of his platform is stunt-based. How much of a uh, splash can I make? Um, and he's made quite a big splash, but it's a splash that's really not impressed a lot of people. Um, and I don't think that he can really motivate people to go out and vote. That's just something I don't see as happening. Um, I don't think that he can get, I don't think he can galvanize enough of an audience. Um, he recently released those confidential Senate documents and said, oh, throw me out, throw me out of the Senate. That's a stunt for uh, the presidency. I think he will run. I can almost guarantee he will run in 2020. And I think he, I don't think he'll stand up to it. Um, I just really don't. Now, I want to get to talking about the midterms, um, transitioning to that. I think this kind of is very, uh, this, is, this is rough. This is dangerous. Let's go to the first, uh, the current uh, makeup of the Senate, okay? I'll pull it up right now. And the current United States Senate has, Republicans have a 51 seats. Whew, 51 uh, to uh, 47 Democrats and two independents. I really... I, I don't like this at all. 
Um, I think the Senate has the possibility to uh, turn, as well as the House. Um, I think it's been a really contentious midterm election so far, uh, going into this final two months. Um, and I think we can really see a big flip. And I think this has to do with the blue wave. This blue wave is a platform of anti-Trump, and that's it. Just people going against Trump, and that's their platform. And I think that may work in the short term, but I don't think that's going to work in the long term. I think um, in 2020, if we lose the House and Senate in 2018, I think they'll flip right back. But that's just really how the pendulum swings. That's always how it's kind of swung. Um, I'm going to pull up the New York Times and see how they look at it. The New York Times Senate. All right, so let's take a look at the New York Times U.S. Senate, according to the New York Times. So they have the U.S. Senate predominantly going to the Democrats. Um, and I don't think that's really a shock. Uh, I think that's, that's just how it is. Um, so as you, you all know, you need 218 seats for, to win a majority in the House. Um, and they're saying that there's 183 solid Democratic seats and 148 solid Republican seats. This is concerning. Um, the likely Republican group has 26 seats and the likely Democrat group has 11 seats. So why is that? Well, we're seeing that a lot of these places, predominantly Texas, Florida, Pennsylvania, they have a lot of these lean Republican seats. They're going lean Republican. They're no longer becoming likely Republican um, or solid Republican. So we want to look out for that. So I want to talk about some of the toss-ups here. Uh, one of the toss-ups right now is the main 2nd Congressional District. It's currently held by Republican Paliquin. Um, and to me, this is, uh, this is an interesting race. Um, I don't think it's really one that's gotten a lot of attention, but I think it's one of the ones that could kind of scoot away from us. I think Trump really needs to focus on kind of campaigning in these areas. He has done some campaigning in Pennsylvania during the um, midterm season. Um, he's gone there um, and tried to gain some uh, popularity for Republicans on the ballot, but he hasn't really gone to Maine very much. Uh, and that's that's of concern. However, I really want to talk about something that's that's very uh, concerning to me. And that's Texas's 23rd congressional district. It's currently held by the Republican herd. And this is now in the lean Republican category. This is not good. Texas in lean Republican is scary. Almost every other district besides two, which I'll get to later, are in the solid Republican or solid Democrat. This He's not good. A lean Republican? It's not even um, likely. It's not even solid. And Texas's uh, 23rd congressional district in history has proven a relative stronghold for the Republican Party. 
And this plays into um, kind of the current Senate race of Beto O'Rourke, in who's challenging Ted Cruz's current incumbent seat uh, for the Senate in Texas. Um, so Texas is becoming a blue state, people. Uh, I think we need to really consider that and think about the fact that Texas is becoming a blue or if not a bluer state. So the other places in Texas that are now toss-ups are the Texas's 32nd Congressional District um, and Texas's 7th Congressional District. The, this one's held by uh, Culberson. And these both toss-up toss districts were previously held by Republicans or are currently held by Republicans. And the fact that they're in a toss-up is rough. If you look on the Texas map, there is not a single district in Texas that is a toss-up that is currently held by a Democrat or in the likely Democrat. All the Democrat seats are solid. So we want to watch out for that. And I also talked about Florida, right? So Florida. Let's look at Florida. Florida has one, two, three, four districts that are now in the lean Republican spot, okay? And all of which, of course, are held by current incumbent Republicans. Um, we've got Florida 16th held um, by Buchanan. Uh, we've got Florida's 15th held by Ross. That's open. Florida's 18th held by Mast. And Florida's 26th held by Curbelo. Florida was a tough election for Donald Trump. I think the winning factor here for him was the panhandle of Florida. Uh, if you look at the election results, the kind of Miami-Dade County is a huge, huge push for um, the Democrats. And that's what we're seeing. Uh, Miami is kind of having this interesting spill-off effect coming that's similar to D.C. So if we look at uh, kind of Virginia... Virginia in history used to be the Confederate stronghold. Now, obviously not being a proponent of the Confederacy, but just saying that it used to be a huge Republican slash conservative stronghold um, for the longest time. Obviously, it went to Reagan, um, and it was a it was. I think that was one of the last times that it went to a Republican. If I look up the 1996 uh, presidential election map, obviously the election that went to uh, Bill Clinton, we still have Virginia as a Republican spot. Uh, if we go to 2000, so Virginia's staying Republican in uh, 1996. If we go to 2000, we've got um, Virginia staying Republican. We go to 2004. Let's see. 2004, we still have Virginia. So it's really been in the past decade or so that Virginia has switched. It was with Barack Obama who took Virginia that it's become a blue state. And why is that? It's the same reason why Florida is becoming a blue state, and that's because of Democrat runoff. So D.C., as we know, is a huge liberal area. Uh, the irony being that it's the center of power, power being held by a very liberal area. Um, that kind of plays into the irony that you see in general for a uh, for the seat of power being in the spot for liberal uh, liberalism. Kind of look at the news and the idea right there. 
So Florida is having this D.C. runoff effect where a lot of Democrats are becoming wealthier, uh, which is good. I'm, I'm happy um, that there is social mobility, uh, but it's causing, it's causing people to vote Democrat in these districts that previously didn't. Um, so Miami-Dade down in Florida, for those of you who don't know or don't live um, in Florida, is kind of in the southern, southeast side of Florida, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. That's why it's Miami-Dade County. And a lot of people are moving to the suburbs of Florida. Um, and that is causing these places that were previously Republican districts to become lean Republican instead of solid or likely. Um, Minnesota is looking good for the Republicans. I'm going to give it that. I want to kind of talk about Minnesota. Trump has done a lot in Minnesota. Um, I think he's visited there a few times. He's talked there a few times. He's endorsed some candidates there a few times. So Minnesota's looking really good for the Republican Party. Um, you've got the... You've got the Minnesota 8th District is a toss-up. That's a toss-up now. This is There are 30 toss-up um, uh, seats for Congress. Um, so that's looking really good. Uh, and I think well, that's currently open, uh, previously held by Nolan, a Democrat. So it's good to see a, uh, a toss-up for a Democratic seat. You've got the Minnesota 1st District. That's open as well. So you can look to Minnesota as an example of um, something that may be successful for to Republicans to retain the majority of the House. Uh, but uh, you got to be careful with this huge blue wave going through. I think that poses a real danger, um, and we need to really watch out for that. Uh, but the last thing I want to kind of talk about for the midterm election is, is uh, Montana. I think, man... Montana, Montana's got me down. Montana is one of the states where there's only one uh, district. Montana itself is one district. They have one representative. Um, and it's been, it's currently held by a Republican, Gianforte. Um, but this is now all of Montana in a lean Republican spot. Montana is becoming a blue state also. Uh, Montana has John uh, John Tester, um, who is one of the one of the senators who's running for re-election in Montana, and he's a Democrat. Uh, there are two, obviously, two senators for Montana. Um, just like every other state, you've got John Tester, a Democrat, and Steve Daines, a Republican. So John Tester is kind of the epitome of this turning for the Democratic Party in these states that were previously Republican. Uh, so we want to watch out for that. Uh, and that's showing right now in this midterm election. The Montana at-large seat, which is what you call a state that is only one uh, congressional district. Uh, North Dakota's like that. South Dakota's like that. Um, think And Wyoming's like that. So kind of those big four states in the uh, northwest area of the United States. North Dakota's is a solid Republican. That's good. South Dakota's solid Republican. Wyoming's solid Republican. Um, 
Idaho is also solid Republican, um, but Montana is now lean Republican, not even likely Republican. It's lean Republican. But I don't want to put too much uh, faith in these polls. Let's not remember, let's not forget that the 538 New York Times put Donald Trump's chances of winning the 2016 election at, what was it, I think 10% or 12%, something very, very low. So I wouldn't lean too much into these. But it's much easier to poll a district than it is to poll a country. Uh, so just think about that. Uh, I want to go to the New York Times. They've got a interesting graphic for the Senate races. Okay. So, as I said before, there are 51 current Democrat or 51 current Republicans and 49 Democrats. So, there are 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 um Republicans up for uh re-election. Uh these come from Mississippi, Utah, Wyoming, Nebraska, uh, another Mississippi, Tennessee, Texas, Nevada, and Arizona. So, we've got some solid Republicans here. Uh, Mississippi, one of the Mississippis is solid. Wyoming is solid. Utah is solid. And Nebraska is solid. Um, so that's good. Four solid seats. But now we come to the likely Republican. And there's Minnesota and Texas. Once again, I don't like this. Mississippi and Texas being a likely Republican. You people need to get out, you need to vote, you need to endorse these candidates that are not, that are in these likely Republican districts uh, and states. It's it's concerning. Um, and then there are two toss-up states uh, currently held by uh, Republicans, Nevada and Arizona. Obviously, Arizona being because of uh, the late John McCain, which ultimately screwed up the Obamacare um, repeal and replace, which... I believe, uh, sullied my interpretation of uh, Mr. John McCain. Now let's go to the Democrats. Democrats are at 49 uh, current seats. They've got a lot up for re-election, but only four in toss-up. Uh, Montana, that's a toss-up that, like we were just talking about, John Tester. Um, Let's go to the Montana polls. I think I've got some data a few days ago on the Montana senator's poll race polls. Um, yeah. So John Tester is about 40, polling at 47%. Um, right now, uh, he's running against Matt Rosendale, a Republican, and Rick Breckenridge, a Libertarian. Uh, and as you all know, John Tester is the current incumbent for Montana. Um, so Matt Rosendale is, he's, 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 he's underperforming. Um, my biggest problem is the Republican Party was split. So the Republican primary were, uh, was against Matt Rosendale, Russ Fagg, Troy Downing, and Al Oswesky. Um, and the top two were Matt Rosendale, obviously the nominee, and uh, Russ Fagg. Uh, and Rosendale got 33% and Russ got 28%. Um, and this is very uh, concerning primarily because the Republican Party, like we saw in the uh, 2016 primary, is split. 
So what does this split really mean? Well, it could mean a few things. Uh, maybe it's just because these candidates were at a tight race or anything. Uh, that That is possible. But it's also possible that the Republican Party is just divided on so many issues that it's hard to come together on one candidate and as a result aren't going to vote uh, for that one candidate if they didn't already vote for them um, in in the primary or they didn't win the primary. But I found this really interesting. So uh, I got some information from the Federal Election Commission, the FEC, as of June 30th, 2018. Obviously, this changes. Um, but it's the receipts from campaign finance reports of the Montana toss-up election for the Senate. And John Tester's total receipts are at $14 million. Now, this is compared with Matt Rosendale's at $2 million. Tester is just outspending for this Senate race. A crazy amount. Out overspending. Um, and I think that really shows in the polling. So I've got data um, from YouGov. WPA Intelligence and Remington Research, SurveyMonkey, and Gravis Marketing. Um, so one, two, three, four, five polls. Out of the five polls, Rosendale is only winning one of them. And they're really close, uh, to say the least. They're very, very close. Uh, YouGov has John Tester at 47%, Matt Rosendale at 45%. Um, and then WA, WPA Intelligence has Matt Rosendale at 47%, and John Tester at 45%. So it's a toss-up. Um, I'm going to kind of focus on this uh, on other days, other other podcasts going back to this election. Um, I think that's, I think it's it, it, it's tight race, and that's good to see. It's a, held by a Democrat incumbent, so I'm glad to see that it's a toss-up. Um, so let's go back to the Senate races. So another toss-up is North Dakota. North Dakota is currently held, like I said, by a Democrat. So North Dakota Senate, I'll get some senator polling right there. So this is really good. So Republican Kevin Kramer tops incumbent Democrat Senator Heidi Heitkamp among North Dakota likely voters by 48 to 44 percent in Fox News poll. Uh, and that came out this uh, last Wednesday, so about a week ago. Um, but the problem is, is it's within the margin of error uh, in North Dakota's uh, poll, specifically. It's within the margin of error. Um, if we go to Rear Clear Politics, which is a good website for a culmination of, uh, of uh, polling information, you can see that there is, they're all in the margin of error. Simply put, all in the margin of error. Uh, which is good and bad. You want it to be a tight race because it's held by a Democrat, but at the same time, it would be better to see the Republican doing better. Okay, so the other states are West Virginia. Um, West Virginia is a toss-up for the Senate um, and currently held by a Democrat, and that's good to see also. So let me give you my predictions. I'll kind of finish out, uh, we're running almost on 45 minutes here. I'm going to finish up with kind of my predictions for what I see going down uh, in the midterms as well as this week. I think the midterm, I think the House will flip. I think House will go to the Democrats. 
Um, but I do think the Senate will retain a Republican majority. If not increase the Senate, uh, the Republican majority in the Senate. Um, I think Texas is going to flip. Okay. So flip Texas, that puts us at 50-50, Republicans to Democrats. I think Montana and North Dakota have a strong chance to go to the Republicans. So I put that in the Republicans. Uh, that puts it at 52-48. Um, and then there's Arizona and Nevada. I think we'll lose Nevada, but take Arizona. Um, and I would put us back at a 51-49. So I think we're going to retain a 51-49 majority in the Senate. Um but the actual, the actual states themselves will kind of change around, but will remain um, Republican-controlled. Um, I think that's probably my biggest guess right now. Um, there are 35 seats up for election this year. Uh, 26 are held by the Democrats, and 9 are held by the Republicans. So... There is room for really good improvement this this year uh, for the Republicans, but I think this blue wave is is concerning to an extent. But at the same time, you know, well, we're just gonna have to get through it. Uh, oh, I just got uh, so we've got some information coming in, uh, kind of rooting back to uh, the Kavanaugh. Actually, the um, the accuser Christine Blasey Ford uh, has not has not responded to the invitation sent by the Senate. Uh, Grassley, who is the leader of the Senate committee, suggests that last minute Kavanaugh hearing could be canceled if accuser doesn't accept the invite. So we'll definitely see how this plays out, but uh, I don't know why she wouldn't have accepted it already. Uh, <laughs> obviously, the only way that I the only way I got this information was from Fox News. Uh, so Fox News, you're getting some pretty good news from them. Uh, New York Times is not reporting that. CNN is not reporting that. Uh, obviously, the Washington Post is not reporting that. So once again, you see the liberal bias just peeking through all the time, every day. And it's really bothering, really troublesome. So I want to thank you all for tuning in today to the to the podcast. It's been really great. Uh, you know, there's going to be some new tweaks here and there as we get... Uh, we get going. I'm going to get some new team members. Uh, we got some guests lined up, some politicians lined up, some uh, campaign managers lined up to be on the show. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, you could uh, subscribe to the Conservative Corner SoundCloud um, and uh, let me know. Uh, let me know how I did. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, and have uh, God bless America and God bless you. Thank you. <laughs>